Marvelous, marvelous. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Chuck, for your faithful stewardship of your gift. For delivering it to the proper address. We, we talk about people being gifted. We're not gifted. We're just delivery boys and girls. If the FedEx driver takes the truck home and parks it in his driveway, he's going to get arrested. Look on the package. The address is my church whom I love. And that's where you deliver your gifts. Thank you, Chuck. The Lord grabbed hold of me this morning. First of all, he left me in this murky gluck. And I almost called Johnny at 6.30 this morning and said, I can't do it. Ain't clear. And I'm not going to stand before you without a clear word. But I thought maybe I should wake up completely and have some coffee. <laughs> that great caffeinated panacea. <clears throat> the cure for what ails me. My raison d'être. Okay, so the French is. My raison d'être. My reason to be. <laughs> no, not really. But I do like a cup of coffee. <clears throat> he says as he walks through with one. <clears throat> and I just stilled my heart, opened my ears. And what I'd been working on had been made murky because I don't think that's what he had for us today. Listen, and I'll let you be the judge. <clears throat> In the opening chapters of Revelation, John, the beloved apostle, the one who was at the very center of the closest circle of the inner circle of the twelve, the one who leaned up against Jesus at the Last Supper as they reclined at the table. When he caught a glimpse of the glorified, risen Christ Jesus, he fell on his face. Now, I have some awesome friends. But if you show up, I'm probably not going to fall on my face. I love you dearly. But I don't think I'm going to be overwhelmed at your presence. His description of the risen Christ is, is baffling. He couldn't, he couldn't describe it. And so when you read that description, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. But he brought a message, he brought a word, and it was in seven parts addressed to seven congregations in Asia. And it's written in an almost poetic form, as in each one he sizes up the situation, he delivers judgment and promises, and he gives them a charge. And one that, one that we read, and probably the one we're most familiar with, 
This is the letter to the church at Laodicea. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me the gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shamefulness and nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We often think of Laodicea as the church that made Jesus sick. Blah. I don't like lukewarm. I don't care for iced coffee, but a lot of people do. I like it hot. And I can drink iced coffee. I'd rather have some of that really good coffee-flavored ice cream they used to have at the ice cream place next to uh, Strange Brew. Not the one there now, the one that used to be there. They had, they had a coffee flavor. It tasted like coffee with cream and sugar it would knock your socks off, but it was still ice cream pretty good. But I'd still rather have hot coffee. But one thing I can't stand is lukewarm coffee. When the coffee approaches room temperature, well, because I'm addicted to coffee, I'll still drain the cup. But <laughs> I'm not going to like it. Most likely, I'll hit the microwave. Lukewarm. The very first sermon I ever preached when I was 14 years old was from this passage because, because I looked around and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with everybody. Why weren't they more excited about this stuff? They're all lukewarm. And I was, I was uh, as my dad would have put it, um, I was energetic, probably full of more heat than light, and uh, enthusiastic anyway. I do remember that. I remember that occasion. Uh, that would be 51 years ago, in case you're counting. <clears throat> the lukewarmness at Laodicea. Why? What caused that tepid, tasteless version of Christian faith? He does tell us what it was. He said, look at you. 
you're, you're, you're successful and self-sufficient and satisfied. And if I was, if I was Johnny Buckner, I would point out that if you pronounce all those together, it goes, I know you were thinking it, so I might as well say it out loud. Like a snake. <laughs> a serpent. <clears throat> yeah. They were satisfied. They had everything. They said, I don't need anything. <laughs> Circle back around. The story that caught my imagination at a very young age along with a lot of other ones, is found in 17th chapter of Luke, and it's often preached in November. Jesus is traveling along, and he's, there are 10 lepers, 10 people with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a family of diseases characterized by, in, in Bible times, characterized by sores from the skin, sometimes really bad neuropathy that ends up with people hurting themselves, injuring themselves without knowing it. Loss of digits, facial features, things like that were common. And by Mosaic law, you were to remove yourself from society. Hence the concept of the leper colony. And you were to cry out as people approached you, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, unclean. It was a lonely life where the only compatriots you could find also stank of a disease that outcast them from society along with you. Why? Leprosy became the common denominator. In this group, we know at least one of them was a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews didn't hang out. In fact, they hated each other. <clears throat> and, and they cried out to the Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. We know the phrase. We, we hear the phrase. It's, it, it's in music. It's in the high church mass. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. And when, when Matthew quotes people approaching Jesus, since he's writing for a Jewish audience, he also throws in, son of David, have mercy on us. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Now, if I were Johnny Buckner, I'd make you repeat that with me. But I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> Are you? Lord, have mercy. Lord, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> and Jesus said to these ten lepers, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Why did he say that? It's the law. If you suspected that you were cured, you had to show yourself to the priest. 
and there was a sacrifice and a little ceremony and an inspection. And when the priest declared you clean, then you were clean and you could reenter society. But it was not going to happen until you go see the priest. That was the rule. That was the law. <clears throat> Jesus told them what to do. There was some faith, I think, when they responded and headed for the temple. All ten of them headed for the temple. They were obedient. And as they're disappearing over the next hill, one of them stops in his tracks, a Samaritan, and he turns and he comes back and he falls on his knees before Jesus and thanks him. And Jesus said, huh, I thought there were ten. Where are the other nine? And number ten's going, hmm. He's a Samaritan. Nine were obedient and one was grateful. <laughs> one worshiped with enthusiasm, nine followed the rules. This is a big theme all through the Gospel of Luke. The whole chapter of Luke 7 is a study in contrast and conflict. It's a marvelous chapter. Well, it's a marvelous book. It's a marvelous testament. It's a marvelous Bible. You may get the impression that I love the Word of God. I do. <laughs> I confess. It starts with the story of a centurion who has a servant who's ill. And interestingly, some elders from his town approach Jesus, some Jewish elders. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, there's this centurion. Don't wait before you judge him. I know he's a Roman. I know he's a centurion. I know he's part of the occupation. But, but he's a good man. He, he, he built our synagogue for us. And and he deserves your mercy. And, and so would you come heal his servant? Jesus went along the way. As he gets close to the house, here comes another group. They're friends of the centurion. And he sent them with a personal message. And they said, I understand. I can see you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. You say go, come. They come, go. I say come, go. They come and go. I got 100 guys to follow me. <clears throat> he says, I am not worthy for you to set foot in my house. So I know if you just say the word, you man of authority, you don't even have to set foot in my stinky Gentile house. Ain't nothing kosher about it. And Jesus said, okay. And he healed him without even seeing him. You see, the Jewish elders wanted to plead the case of this centurion that he was good enough to be healed. 
But the centurion said, no, I'm not. You see the difference? I don't, of course, we don't know how the story would have ended. But there's a connection between his humble request and Jesus' response. On down in that same chapter, Jesus is at the house of Simon, a Pharisee. He invited Jesus to come to dinner. Well, that probably was a big event. Lots of people, lots of Pharisees. <clears throat> and as was the custom, they, they, they reclined at the table. Feet behind them, on an elbow probably, eating from the table in the middle. That, that whole, you know, marvelous Da Vinci Last Supper is pretty, but that ain't how it happened. <clears throat> There's a missing verse in the scripture. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's, it's been found in some, in some late Italian manuscripts. And it says, everybody on this side of the table for the picture. <laughs> it wasn't like that. <clears throat> and it says that as Jesus was reclining at the table, there was a woman standing behind him. <coughs> you can picture this. There's people all around. There's this round table. People, the, the guests, and particularly the guests of honor, are face in, feet behind them. People standing around. They're going to hear what's going on. They're going to see what's going to happen next. Jesus in the house of a Pharisee. This is going to be interesting. And there's a woman. She, she's standing there weeping. And, and she's weeping so profusely that her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. Have you ever wept that much? Have you ever wept till the, the tears just flow? She kneels down. She doesn't have anything with her. So she pulls her long hair out from under her headdress. She starts drying his feet, washing his feet with her tears, drying them. She has some scented oil. She, she anoints his feet. Weeping. Simon the Pharisee sees what's going on. He just can't believe it. If this were truly a prophet, he would know what manner of woman is touching him. He wouldn't stand for it. He'll be doing ablutions for a week before he can go back to the temple. He'll never be able to wash her uncleanness off of himself. If he really knew, if he really knew, Jesus says, Simon, I don't like what you're thinking. I guess he knew. <laughs> he said, I came to your house. You didn't even bother to send for the servants to wash my feet or to put oil on my head. Just common courtesy. You're not, even, you're not even following the protocol of humans in our culture who live together and host a little dinner at their house. But this woman has consistently been washing my feet and drying them with her hair. And you think you're better than her? So he goes on to tell the parable of the two debtors. One owed a little bit, one owed a lot. And, and the master forgave them both. 
And he says, Simon, which do you suppose, which do you suppose of these two men, which one you suppose loved the master more? Read it. Simon's so reluctant. <laughs> well, I guess is the one that was forgiven the most. He, he totally got what Jesus was saying. She recognized her position. And she couldn't do enough. She couldn't say enough. She could not express with words or deeds the gratitude that was in her heart. Gratitude. Gratitude. People always... <laughs> I posted on Facebook the other day. Some of you responded. I, I, had, just, I had just clicked a, a click and it struck me. So I posted, what's, you know, what's your most common lie that you tell? Mine is Mark All as Red. <laughs> Here's his list of posts, and I see a bunch of people. I really don't care what they said, but I mark it as red. And someone else, someone else typed, uh, uh, I have read and accept the terms of this license agreement. Yeah, that's another one. I tell that lie all the time. Somebody else posted, I'm fine, thank you. <coughs> you tell that lie? I do. I do. When I am really not fine. And I don't want to bother with the details of telling you why I'm not fine. I'm going to look at you and go, I'm fine. In the last couple of years, increasingly I see in the eyes of people who ask me how I am that they're not just saying, how de do <laughs> They're saying, how are you doing? Yeah. I've tried to be honest. And sometimes I've softened it. I might be having a really bad day. And I say, ah, I'm okay getting through it, all sorts of things. If you asked me this morning how I am, you heard me say, I'm grateful. Because that's what struck me when God grabbed me by the shoulders with a good hard shake this morning. I'm grateful. I have prayed for a long time for friends who have lost someone my constant prayer for them, and probably will be till my last breath, is I pray that your gratitude for what you have had will soon overwhelm your grief over what you no longer have. Because it can. I, I knew that, but now I know that. Gratitude trumps grief every time. And as I took that thought and turned it in my mind and listened carefully, I've come to this conclusion that it is not coffee that's the panacea of all that ails me. It's gratitude. Gratitude is the closest thing to a universal remedy for everything that ails you spiritually. Gratitude will fix it. It's an anti-anxietal. It's an antidepressant. 
And it, it's not an ACE inhibitor. It's a grace uninhibitor. It releases grace in your life. Some of you know that I've been really pounding the Spanish in hopes of going to Honduras sometime this year. And, and I, am, I am really taken with the relationship between gracia and gracias. Grace and thanksgiving. Now, don't you laugh at me. <laughs> My pronunciation is not that bad. <clears throat> so, grace and gratitude are, are linked. In Greek, the, the, the word grace is right in the middle of the word for gratitude. It's also, it's also the same root in the word joy. And it's in the word for gifts. Grace is everywhere. But you can't recognize grace if you feel entitled to something. You know, when, 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 when I receive payment for services rendered, proper etiquette has me saying, thank you. Thank you for your payment. It says that right at the bottom of the invoice. Thank you for your prompt payment. If it's not prompt, I guess they're not so thankful. But it says, thank you for your prompt payment. Thank you. And, and yes, that's, that's legit. <clears throat> but if they don't pay me, they're going, here's something, hear about it. Because they owe me. Because I did what I agreed, and they agreed to pay for it. That ain't gratitude. And if you feel that you are owed something, you're not very thankful when you get it. Don't you see? Life expectancy <laughs> is more like life entitlement. And we walk around on this planet with this sense that God owes us something. Now, we might come to the point where we have an encounter with Jesus and recognize that we've been on the wrong side of things and we cross over into it. But if we don't keep that attitude that we've been saved by grace and maintained by grace and we breathe and live each day by grace, then eventually you're going to get an attitude of entitlement and you're going to have bitter root inside of you that's going to grow up and it's going to in interrupt your relationship with the Father who does nothing but love you. It's got to be there. And, and, and yes, we are joint heirs. Yes, we are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. Yes, we are no longer what we were. We're not that, that vile, mucky, sinful self of the past. Paul makes it very clear, that's what you were. And that's not what you are now. But if you forget the transition, you're going to just turn into a little princess for God who thinks that he's got to answer every prayer with yes, he's got to heal every disease, he's got to fix my financial problems, he's got to undo the damage I've done in my own life because I am a child of God and I'm in his favor. And, and, and we end up with a situation where, you know, most of the argument between the charismatics and the anti-charismatics, do you know what most of the argument centers on? What does the argument center on? The argument centers on why did he say no? Because he does say no. Anybody here batting a thousand on your prayers? 
One day somebody's going to raise their hand, I'm going to faint. <laughs> or else put that person in therapy. <clears throat> I'm here to tell you, he says no. And he says no to somebody who's believing so hard, you, you, you can't describe it. If you don't recognize that you are helpless and that anything that doesn't look like helpless, that help comes from the Lord. If you don't recognize that, that sense of entitlement will creep in and it will keep you from having the fullness of a relationship with a father who just wants to wrap his arms around you. It will crush your witness. It will crush your spirit. It can tear your family apart. It can leave you feeling empty when he wants you to feel full. It, can, it, it, will, it will leave you feeling like an orphan when indeed you are adopted by the heavenly father. You've got to get there. You've got to hear this. And, and here's, here's a good thing. <clears throat> I, I remember, we used to sing a song in Sunday school. This was back before they allowed guitars in church. This was back before. <laughs> we sang, behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. Did you ever sing that one? Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. And it was just a simple little song from that verse. And all my life it was taught to me that that's a great song for the lost. That, 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 that Jesus is knocking on the heart of your door. Just all you got to do is open it. That, that, uh, that guy, Solomon, who painted the famous head of Christ, he also painted that famous picture of Jesus knocking on the door. And, and I've heard whole sermons on that painting. You know, like, like look, look, the... The door opens inward, and there's no latch on the outside. It can only be opened from the inside. And all these great spiritual insights that you could have while looking at this marvelous painting, it's great. It's great. But, but the only place that that figure appears in Scripture is right here in the letter to Laodicea. And who is he writing to? The church. If that doesn't make you tremble just a little, you're not getting it. Jesus on the outside knocking on the door of the church. He's saying, open up, open up. You think, you're, you think you got everything you need, and I'm out here. Open up, open up. And if you'll open, I'll come in, and we're going to have a party. Well, that's not quite the way he put it, but that's the way I interpret it. Because dinner with Jesus is going to be a party. And it's all about recognizing. Years ago, there was a bestseller by a rabbi entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And I always thought I should, I, I should write a, a rejoinder to that. I would, I would write, why do good things happen to bad people? Because they ain't no good. 
It, Jesus said so. He said, why do you call me good? It's only one's good. Are you saying what I think you're saying? That's, to Nicodemus, he said that. Are you saying what I think you're saying when you call me good? I don't think Nicodemus meant that. <clears throat> so, we've got to find the balance to where we are not wallowing in shame for what we were. Okay? you got to get over that. Because you got to understand it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. The worst thing you ever did, it's gone. God has wiped it from his memory. <laughs> Thank you. It's gone. Oh, but how come I keep remembering it? Because you got this guy whose name is Accuser whispering in your ear every day. Remember when you did that? You think you deserve God's love? I know better. I know what you did. I know what you thought. I'm here to accuse you. That's what Satan means. That's what Diabolos means. It means accuser. It's, it's, like, it's like the district attorney pronounces you guilty, hoping that the jury will catch on. Diabolos is actually used that way in Greek. How about that? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit... The comforter, that word, parakletos, is the word for advocate. That's like a defense attorney. Isn't that cool? We got a bad old DA worse than, than uh, Hamilton Berger going up against Perry Mason, and we got way better than Perry Mason on our side. Defended to the death. He defended us to the death. Everything that erodes my gratitude is all about this life that lasts that long. The younger you are, the harder it is to understand that life is that long. But as you get towards the end of that click, you realize it was just a click, just a finger snap, just a puff of smoke. And, and, and I am not going to let anything transient in this world smother the heat of my gratitude to the one who's taking me out of it. Oh, man. I don't really care. You know, I, I, have, I, have, I have friends who, who don't believe in, in, in literal hell. I have, I, I, have, I have friends who believe other things about the, about the state of humanity after death. You know why there's so many opinions? Because he didn't bother to tell us. Because he's not worried about that. No. We just don't know. But, but consider this. Consider this. When Jesus said that the rain and the sun fall on the just and the unjust, you realize what he's saying? He's, he's saying... That those outside of God's favor are enjoying God's favor. Because we're here. Think of the... Have you ever lived in a society that seems basically untouched by the Judeo-Christian ethic? I have. And it can be vicious 
and hateful and self-defensive and, and selfish and it's animalistic without the, without the mitigation of the Judeo-Christian ethic. I'm not even talking about the difference between believers and unbelievers. I'm talking about the leavening effect of the kingdom of God that has been in the Western world. You know, you know that our whole ju- uh, judicial legal system is based on the Old Testament, right? You know that. It, it, it's not because our founding fathers were saints walking on the planet Earth. Some of them were. But it's because that they were, that they were steeped in that culture that started with one man and... Eleven and a half <coughs> laymen, nobodies, two millennia ago. <laughs> what would be more hellish than this planet without God? Did you see? Whether it's here or in a pit with fire and flames and little guys with pitchforks, and I don't know. I don't know about that. And, and I don't know about heaven. I don't know about, I don't know about pearly gates and streets of gold and mansions and all of that stuff and crowns and, and, and reclining on a cloud, plucking a harp. I don't even know how to play a harp. <laughs> the difference between heaven and hell is God. With him or without him. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Don't you know? You say, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone for 70 years. And finally he says, all right. And you don't know what alone is until God leaves you alone. God doesn't send people to hell. He's done everything possible to get you out of it. That makes me so grateful. How can I complain? Doesn't mean I'm never sad. Doesn't mean I don't miss a loved one. It doesn't mean that it's hard or easy, or it doesn't mean that it's easy. But it's all different. Because he's, he's taught me to be grateful. Paul wrote in the Philippians, he says, why are you anxious? Don't be anxious about anything. But with thanksgiving, bring your prayers and petitions before God. And what's the result that he promises? The peace of God that baffles human understanding will guard your heart. Your soul, your mind, guard you. And it will guard you. The peace of God, the wholeness of shalom, the calmness of his presence, the recognition of his sufficiency will guard you from everything that tears at you and has you worrying about the devourer. The devourer cannot keep up with the windows of heaven. 
as, as hungry as the devourer is, God has the storehouses of heaven. <laughs> yeah, there's no comparison. Hundred and what? Hundred and fifty years ago almost. A man named Horatio Spafford. He sent his family to England. And along the way there was a storm. And his children were all lost at sea. Only his wife survived. And Spafford wrote a hymn that we love and possibly know by heart. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Look at that. Whatever my lot. It's not about did God do it, not do it. Whatever my lot. That's like casting lots. Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Mm. Do the next verse. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious, be sure you pause real good, not my sin, oh, the bliss. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So how am I doing? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. 
my prayer for you is that you find the joy of gratitude. Now, so what? Nice sermon. Let's go home and forget it. Good message. Got me right here. What are you going to do about it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you just open up, I'm going to come in. We're going to have a party. There's a big word in that verse. He says, repent. He calls the church to repent. Shed that burden now. Drop that grief. Look at the gap in your life over what you think you're missing and recognize that Jesus is just trying to fill it with himself. The shape of the hole in your heart will not be filled with anything in this world only by him. And I'm not just talking to those of you who've never met him. Heavens to Betsy, I want you to, to recognize that and come running and we'll, we'll talk to you about how to get hooked up with Jesus. But I'm talking to my brothers and sisters in the Lord here who have hurt and pain and things that just keep nagging at you, stuff you can't get rid of. You realize gratitude will trump your grief, but it'll also trump your temptation. You know, the temptation to indulge yourself is all about feeling like there's something owed to you that you don't have. I deserve this break from being a good guy. It's okay if I indulge myself a little bit over here. Whatever your indulgence is, whether it's pornography or, or chocolate, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, well, you're looking for Jesus. You're not looking for whatever that, that stuff is. And if you have the gratitude that fills, that, that reminds you that you have everything you need, then you don't need that. Gratitude trumps it all. Don't ask for it to do something that it won't do. It won't fix your sadness. It, it, it won't actually take the place of someone that you miss. But it provides the healing for the fissure that was opened up when you've been struck by grief. And, and I'm not just talking about somebody dying. I've known old people who grieve over the loss of their youth. You might grieve over the loss of that A that you were running the first three days of class. Some of you smart ones got farther than three days. But whatever, grieving is about loss. A lost job, a lost opportunity, a lost friendship, a lost relationship, a lost, a lost marriage, a lost opportunity, a lost... Whatever it is, it's picking at you and devouring what God has for you. And if you want to talk about tithing, it's, I mean, it's easier to give the offering if you're, if you're grateful. Because when you're not grateful, you don't want to give. I don't have enough for me. I don't own you. Now, we don't have the nerve to say that out loud to God, do we? But we just do it. 
see it? Do you see that the God's favor rests on you? That's how the gospel opens. Glory to God in the highest. And peace, peace on earth to men upon whom God's favor rests. It's not about whether God turns all the lights green on Highway 12 for you. That's not God's favor. God's favor is Jesus. Quit looking for something else. It's so short-sighted. It's so worldly. Worldly? Fleshly. Fleshly? I'm a spiritual being. I'm a spiritual being living in this meat bag. So were you, except you got your own meat bag. And it distracts. It's infected with something called sin. And it's terminal. Wages of sin is death. And until this mess dies, this won't be free. Not completely. But God's grace lets us live as free people. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Are you amazed? If you're not amazed, you don't get it. If you're not awestruck, maybe you need to be truck struck or something. I don't know. <laughs> I plead with you by the mercies of God to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Then, then you will prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <laughs>